0: How would you feel if someone you looked up to, someone you thought was, well, perfect, turned out to be less than you'd hoped for? Thanks for joining us in our service here at St Nairn's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and it's my pleasure to welcome you wherever you find yourself today. We had hoped to be joining in the celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning, but due to illness, we won't be able to do that in person at St Nairn's, so we thought we would do exactly the same in our service. We'll wait for a couple of weeks until that can happen in both places, online and in person at the same time. So this week I'm joined in our normal service of worship by Sarah Jane. She's going to read for us in just a moment and she will lead us in prayer later in our service. So let's hear as she reads from Mark's Gospel.
1: Mark chapter 7 verses 24 to 37. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, "Ephaphatha," which means, be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it people were overwhelmed with amazement. He's done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak.
0: I wonder what you make of what we've just heard. This encounter between Jesus and this Greek woman born in Syria and Phoenicia, it's one of the most uncomfortable in the whole of the Gospels. I think sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we just don't want to see it. And sometimes... We do all kinds of mental gymnastics to get around the fact that Jesus really doesn't come out of this very well at all, at least not to start with. He tells the woman who wants him to come and heal her daughter that this isn't for the likes of her. This isn't for the dogs. And just in case we're in any doubt about what he's saying, the people like him, the Jews, are the children and people like her, the Gentiles, are the dogs. It's flat-out racism and it should shock us. The fact that it comes from Jesus should make our shock even worse. I wonder if we even notice. We hear all kinds of talk these days about race, racism, privilege of being white, and to be honest, that's hard for most of us to hear. I'm pretty sure that if I asked you to put your hand up if you're a racist, I wouldn't expect many hands. If I'd asked you if you thought you'd benefited from the colour of your skin, I'm sure that many of us would give eye a eye laugh and ask if you're kidding. None of us are rich. None of us could point quickly to the ways in which we have benefited. None of us could point quickly to the ways in which we benefited from the colour of our skin. But at the same time, we live just a few miles from a city that was built on the back of slaves and tobacco and sugar and cotton plantations not so very long ago. But that was then, wasn't it? But here's the thing. Most of us are hardly aware of the prejudices that we carry around with us. We rarely encounter people who are different, so we aren't often in a position where we even have to think about it. Or, here in the West of Scotland, we wear a prejudice like a badge of honour, and we don't think of it as problematic at all. In fact, they're to be celebrated. So here's a small test. Have you ever thought of people who aren't like you in whatever way as them? And if your answer to that is no, then I'm sure you're probably not telling the truth. And if we aren't truthful about how we feel, even when we don't want to feel it or don't understand why we have those reactions or we're disturbed when it happens, if we deny all of that, then we can't ever do anything about it. We'll never change. Anyone who has been involved in a 12-step program will tell you that sometimes the hardest part is step one, admitting you have a problem. Nobody wants to admit to having a problem. But perhaps there's a step before that. Because I'm not sure we even realise that we have an issue. Never mind a problem. And before you start to get all defensive, just look at Jesus. Jesus is in someone's house. It's a private home. He wants to be left alone. Nobody is supposed to know that he's there. He just wants to rest, to get something to eat and get some peace for a while. And this foreign woman barges in. And she's about as different from Jesus as it's possible to be. She's a woman. She's of Greek heritage. And she was born in Syria and Phoenicia. That's where Lebanon is these days. Her race and culture and gender are all different from Jesus. And added to that, she just barges in and asks something from Jesus. Well, it's like times like these where we're often exposed, isn't it? We all know that there are things that we just aren't supposed to say these days. Things that are now offensive and that you used to get away with. Things your children or grandchildren pull you up for. Things you only ever say in the pub. Jokes that you can't make anymore because someone will be offended. And here's the thing though. They didn't just start being offensive. They've always been. These terms are an exercise in power used to mark difference and demean other people. But sometimes, when we're least expecting it, or when we're comfortable, or tired, or off guard, what we really think slips out. It's like an automatic response. All this woman asks for is that Jesus heals her daughter. She doesn't ask anything from Jesus that we haven't seen him do before. In fact, there's a whole story about another daughter just a few pages earlier. She was the daughter of Jairus the Jewish official of the synagogue, who comes and, just like the woman, throws himself at Jesus' feet and begs that he comes and heals his daughter. And Jesus goes off without a moment of hesitation. Jesus' response to this woman is quite different. It's shocking. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And just in case we're in any doubt of what he's saying, The people like him are the children, and the people like her are the dogs. What follows is like a slap in the face for Jesus. Even the dogs get crumbs from the children's table, she says. So what on earth is going on here? What's it all about? And why has whoever wrote Mark's Gospel chosen to include this shocking encounter? One of the questions we often ask is, Where do you see yourself in this story? When we read this story, I think we often see ourselves as on Jesus' side of it. We're his followers, so we're with him. We're like him. And it's the woman who's different. And that makes the story harsh, but, well, he's not talking about us, so that's okay, isn't it? We're on the inside. This is a story about someone on the outside. And as long as that doesn't impact on our privileged position, we actually don't care that much. Or at least, not as much as we would if he was talking about us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing we should all know. We are the dogs. He is talking about us. It feels different now, doesn't it? This story is here, I think, because in this encounter, the woman blows apart Jesus' idea of who he is and what his mission is all about and who it's for. Look at all the stuff that's happened already. Mark has told us about the battle between the kingdoms, the empire and the kingdom of God. He's told us how the empire excludes and enslaves and treats people as worthless. Where fear and violence are used as control. He tells us about these amazing miracles where people are restored to life. We've read about this amazing miracle where more than 5,000 people were fed and there were 12 baskets left over. Jesus' mission is going so well. But we also hear about trips to the other side of the lake, where Jesus encounters the same problems. He meets a man called Legion who's possessed by demons. He heals people there too. But it always seems like a bit extra. It's not the main focus. Jesus has come to save the people of God, the Jews, and through them the whole world will be saved. We've just spent weeks talking about that idea when we explored the feeding of the 5,000 and the teaching that followed. It's all about how God had saved the slaves then established them as his people and then given them a place to live. They were supposed to be special. They were supposed to live in a different way. They were supposed to be an example. The woman picks up on the story of the bread and her response. I don't want to take anyone's place. But what are you going to do with all the leftovers? Those 12 baskets that nobody needed or wanted why can't I get some of that? Who are you keeping them for? Or am I not even worth those crumbs? We've spoken before about Jesus being fully human. And I think this is one of his most human moments. This woman confronts him with all the stuff we all have, all the cultural and social baggage that we carry, the stories we're told, the language we use, the roles we adopt, and then enforce. It's all there to foster a sense of belonging and inclusion. We like tribes. We like to know who's in my tribe and who isn't. I've just been to try on a kilt for a wedding. Get me and my Scottishness. But last night on the TV when a black woman spoke in a broad Glaswegian accent in the drama that we were watching, I have to admit I was surprised. I don't know why. And I don't like that I was. And I'm going to have to do some thinking about that because she's just as Scottish as I am and I'm glad that she is. But now I'm challenged to think more about what I think Scottishness is and how I would describe it. That's what's going on here in this story. That's the question being asked of Jesus. Just who belongs? And why have you placed some kind of artificial barrier in the way of that? In the end, Jesus changes his thinking. And again, I'm not sure that that's something we're very comfortable with. We like to think of Jesus as certain, knowing, confident and never wrong. But the story of the people of God is a conversation with God, a relationship with God that changes and deepens. And relationships aren't one-sided. Moses argues with God often. Jacob spent a whole night wrestling with God to earn a blessing that he hadn't been offered. And God heard the cries of his people and changed his mind. Realising that we have been wrong is good. Doing something about it is better. Instead of going home, Jesus goes and heals a man who is also excluded from society because of his disability. And then he repeats the miracle of multiplication, this time feeding 4,000 Gentiles, people like us, people who were not included before but are now because the women had the courage to challenge Jesus and Jesus had the courage to realise that he'd been wrong and that change was needed. He's working out his ministry just as we should all be working out ours. And that's good news for all of us. I wonder, will we have the courage to do the same and be good news to those who are still excluded because of their race, their gender, their sexual orientation, their ability or their religion?
2: I stumble, daily I fall, daily your mercy is new at the dawn. God is steadfast, your love is secure You have grace enough for my wayward heart Running out to me with your own
1: Black lives matter, loving God, as do peely-weely white and tawny-tanned dusky brown and apricot and peach. Poor lives matter, and so do rich ones, but not any more than the poor ones, or the just about getting by ones, the seen better days, or still hoping for better to come ones. Creator of all, whose spirit breathes in every living thing, we dare to believe that every life matters to you, and therefore must to us as well. And if we pick out some for special attention, it is because they are the ones most likely to be exploited and ignored, treated so often as if they were nothing that they come almost to believe it themselves. That is not good enough, O oh God, not for you and not for us either. Fill us with creative anger and an energy for change, so that we will not rest until every person on this earth has food and clothes and shelter education and safety, and above all, the unashakable assurance that they are loved and worth loving. All these things we pray in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
0: Nurtured, loved and challenged, go in the beauty of God the maker. Go in the love of Jesus the healer and go in the challenge of the Holy Spirit. Go to love and serve. This day and always.